right, let's open our Bibles to Ezra, the book of Ezra. This is the last uh, study in the uh, book of Ezra, part four. We, uh, we looked at chapter one, being led by God, chapter two, returning and settling in, chapter three, the rebuilding of the temple began. Chapter 4, we saw the enemies, the attack and the discouragement that came, where they actually stopped for a period of time. Chapter 5, though, they, God spoke to them and they got back uh, to work. And chapter 6, they completed what they uh, had started and dedicated it to the Lord. Chapter 7, we looked at last week uh, about this man Ezra and about how he was a teacher. He was a he had this thing about God's Word. We talked all about that. But he was a teacher sent by God to teach the Word to the people there. And a very important need there. And he had devoted himself, it says, to studying the Word, to doing what it said, and also to teaching others. All three of those. Not just studying it, but, but then applying it to himself, his own life, and then also teaching others. Not just teaching others and not doing what it said himself. All three together. He had others helping him too to uh, kind of make it clear, to kind of give the meaning of the passages of the scripture so that people could understand what was being read. And it said there at the end of chapter uh, 7 that it was a, a time of joy, a joy in the Lord. And, and it says there in that familiar verse that we know that the joy of the Lord uh, is our strength. Actually, that was in, in the book of Nehemiah, we read that. The joy of the Lord is our strength, but it had to do with the, uh, the understanding also of God's word, what God has to say. We need God's word. The, the church needs God, God's word. Each of us needs God's word. So we need to, to basically, in these busy, busy lives of ours, take the time. Read in the Old Testament. Read in the New Testament. Read the Gospels. Read the Psalms. Read the book of Genesis. Find something, pick something, and begin to read, begin to see what God would say. If you want to hear from God, if you want to hear from God, I want to say to you, you need to open up his word. Ezra, it says he opened the book, and the people would hear from God. There was a, a thing I found, too. I wanted to, to share this with you. Uh, you know, technology, technology is just advancing incredibly, isn't it? just gets better and better. And now they have this product. This is so exciting to me. It's called the OnStar Study Bible. OnStar Study Bible. It's the first voice-guided study Bible. It says, The first Bible equipped with satellite technology that instantly connects you with a trained OnStar advisor who can assist you in navigating safely through God's Word. So if you got this Bible, right, and it's got like a button, you know, like OnStar, right? And if you have any kind of problem, whatever, you just push the button, and it will immediately connect you to an advisor. Is that awesome? Is it true? It says, who needs the leading of the Spirit when OnStar can provide blessed assurance and quick Bible-side assistance at the touch of a button? And just someone's testimony is this. I lost control while reading James and had a head-on collision with works-righteousness. And after my reader side airbag deployed, OnStar was able to guide ecclesiastical authorities to my location, and they pulled me from the wreckage. 
It's got the automatic faith crash response that notifies your pastor in case of sudden doubt. It's got DPS, which is doctrinal positioning system to keep you on track if you drift into heresy. We all need these. We're, I've ordered a whole bunch. They'll be here soon. Seriously, though, we do need God's word, don't we? But we rely on God's spirit and God's people, the teachers that he's given, as we saw last time in chapter 7. Chapters 8 through 10 now, as we finish the book of Ezra, really, I, I've, I've uh, given it the title of True Revival. True Revival, because we all talk about re- revival, or we think about it at times, and we would like to see revival. We like to know what revival is, and, and, and we kind of have different pictures. But I think what we see here in the book of Ezra and other places, and, and also throughout history of the world, True Revival always contains these things that we see here in these chapters. Number one, prayer. Number two, confession. And, and number three, repentance. You say, well, yeah, okay, but, you know, we, we talked last week about the joy of the Lord. Yes, there is a place for that. And, and God wants us to have His joy and His strength. But there's also a place for these things as well. And if we want to know true revival, it's, this is part of it. It's always been in the history of the church. When you look back over the history of the church, true revival has always contained these things. Yes, joy always came after these things. Chapter 8 now in, in the book of Ezra. Along the way, Ezra, we, kinda, we talked last time in Nehemiah where Ezra was actually in Jerusalem already and they had, you know, he got up and spoke and that. This is going back in time a little bit now. He's still on the way to Jerusalem. He hasn't gotten there yet in chapter 8, right? And so there's a whole list, chapter uh, 8, verses uh, 1 through 14. There's a whole list of people who were going with him. There was al- already a great large group of people who had gone back to Jerusalem uh, with another leader. And can anybody tell me what his name was? Zerubbabel. So there was a, har- a much larger group actually than, than what was going out with Ezra. But Ezra is in kind of like the second group that is coming back to uh, Jerusalem to see that God's temple is rebuilt. And Nehemiah came along and Nehemiah was there to see that what got rebuilt. The wall, okay? So we have the temple and then the wall being rebuilt. So Ezra, excuse me, he's on the way. And in verse uh, 15 through 20, he realizes when he kind of takes inventory of who who he's bringing with him, he realizes that there were no Levites. And Levites were those that were set apart to serve and to work in the temple. And and he's going back to help see the temple uh, you know, functioning, functioning again, but there's no Levites. There's nobody that is there to serve. There's no servants to serve God in this way. And this disturbed him. So what he did was he sent to find some. He sent, he had some specific directions and instructions to go find some. And then God provided a whole group of these Levites that were to serve, and he, they went along with Ezra. I'm kind of condensing it all because we're not going to read every verse. Look at verse 21 now. If you'll jump ahead with me to, to Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. And there, he says, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. He says, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king 
The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Ezra, this man who was a teacher, he was a man of the word, and he was uh, you know, incredible in the, the teaching of God's word, but he also, we see here, he had a heart after God. He's there along the way, and he realizes this is more than just we can do. He had talked to the, the king, right, who had sent him and allowed him to go, and he said, you know, God's hand's upon us. We can do this. But then he gets out there, and he realizes the next section says, talks about all the, the, uh, the gold and the silver and all these things that they had with them. And he realized, you know what? Uh, this is more scary than I ever thought it would be. And, but I can't go back to the king now and say, listen, you know, I told you that, you know, God was going to help us do this, but can you give us some soldiers and an army to go with us too? Because, you know, God might not show up kind of thing. And so he realized that. So what did he do? He realized that he needed this help. And, he, and so it says he, he fasted and he prayed. This is the heart of, ne- of this man Ezra. We'll see it in the next two chapters as well. He had a heart after God. He was willing to do whatever it took, but he knew where the strength came from. He knew where the protection came from. It says that he would fast. He proclaimed the fast that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey. Ask him to get there safely. Boy, you know, what an example is that for us, for you and for me. We're on a journey, aren't we? We're on a long journey. We don't know how long it's going to be. We don't know the twists and the turns, but it always something comes up that, that you never expected. But, but this idea of fasting and humbling oneself and praying, asking God for this safe journey, this idea of dedicating a child today, you know, we need to, to fast and, and humble ourselves before God and, and pray and ask Him to help us in this journey with our children, for us and our children and the other people the other things that we need to do in this life. Say, what's fasting all about? Fasting is basically just, you know, not eating and saying, I want to I dedicate some time. I'm going to put that aside, the, the normal, regular things that I usually do, put those aside for a period of time and just dedicate on, on, on myself, on praying and, and, and seeking God's help and direction. Humbling ourselves. Peter talked about it. James talked about it. If we humble ourselves... Before the mighty hand of God, he will lift us up. To pray, to humble ourselves, to fast. And it says that God answered. Look down at verse 31. It says, On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was on us. And he protected us from our enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested for three days. God answered their prayer. God answered their prayer. And you know what? God answers prayer today too, doesn't he? When we humble ourselves, if we, if we come into God's presence and we kind of come in there boldly, we're supposed to come boldly into his presence, but if we, if we don't come in humbly as well as boldly and we kind of demand God to do this, this, and this, and, you know, people, I've seen it happen, you know, where people in the name of faith, right, they kind of demand God to do things. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. God says, well, like, huh? 
But when we humbly come and say, God, you know, I, I'm, I'm lost. I need help. I'm desperate for you to do something to help, to get me on this, you know, to get me, protect me, to get me to the, you know, finishing line. When we begin to get proud and think we can do it on ourselves without his help, that's when we're going to be in trouble. Pride is the killer. Pride is the killer. Pride will stop us. Pride will, will, will lead us to what? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's going to happen every time. I mentioned that in this chapter, they also had a whole bunch of resources that they, that they had and they were taking with them and, and uh, everything it says that they brought with them was accounted for. They had this accountability with all the stuff and they had to spread it out because they couldn't carry it. One person couldn't carry it all. They had to share it amongst all these people. When they got there, they, they got it all back together and it was all there. People were accountable to what they'd been given. Chapter 9 now, Ezra got there, right? Again, there was a whole group of people who had been there who came with Zerubbabel uh, some period of time before. And, and not long after Ezra gets there, the leaders come to him with problems. You know, I mean, that's kind of, uh, that kind of puts a damper on things, doesn't it? You, you know, you're all excited. You want to go to Jerusalem. You want to see the temple, you know, rebuilt and, and, and all this exciting thing. You get there, and, and it isn't long before someone comes to Ezra and says, man, we got some problems. We got problems. Well, I wish I could say, you know, that there will be no more problems. You know, there will be no problems that we're going to have to face. But, you know, even the most exciting, the most wonderful things that we look forward to in life, they have their share of problems, don't they? Problems are just part of this life, part of this world. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer for I have overcome the world. We're going to face problems. Look at verse 1, chapter 9. It says, After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and they said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the, the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. It says, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. They came and they said, man, you know what? what hap what's happened here is that we have compromised. We have compromised with the world. This is a clear breaking of, of the Old Testament law that they were to keep themselves uh, separate and pure. In verse uh, 35 of Psalm 106, it says, They mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. This is speaking of the time earlier before they had been taken out of the promised land. So basically, they're doing again what they did before, compromising with the world and beginning to worship false idols getting all tied up with everything that was going on around them. And, and even uh, what we call, you know, unequally to be un, unequally yoked. The leaders, it says, the officials had led the way. The leaders were right at the, at the forefront of this. 
And if the spiritual leaders are not leading the way in a right way, what's going to happen? What is everybody else going to do? If I, as a, as a leader, you know, if I, as a spiritual leader, you know, uh, am I, I'm out drinking and partying and, and doing all this stuff, and, 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 and then I come to you and, and, and you all know about it, are you going to find, are you going to think pretty much the same thing? It's okay. This is fine. There's more responsibility for leaders. And I always say this when, when someone you know, takes a position of leadership or, or we talk to them about a position of leadership, we understand there's more responsibility. And, and as even as Andy was saying, that people look to others for their example. What kind of an example is it that you're leading in, in your life? It started with the, the leaders and the officials, and they led the way, but then it pretty much got you know, spread out to, to the others as well. Ezra hears this news and he says, like, isn't this, what, isn't this what's got us into this problem in the first place? Isn't this what led to the captivity which we are now returning from? We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be different from the world around us. But are we, is the question. Am I different from the world around? Are we just all the same as them? Look at verse 3. It says, when I heard this, Ezra speaking, he says, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God, of the God of Israel, gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles, and I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Ezra, he, his heart was broken. He, he was appalled. He just, he, he got down. And he, he just, he, couldn't, he didn't know what to do. And again, is this a time where he's just saying, God, calling out to God. Again, humbling himself. And that, these, these things that he did here, these were a signs of, of conviction, signs of mourning, signs of grief. He, you know, he, he was just overwhelmed by the situation. So what does he do? Verses 5 through 15, it's a long section, but I'm going to read it and not comment much on it, just to the fact that it's his prayer now. What does he do? He, he's, he's humbled himself, and now he's going to pray. You see, he, he didn't just talk about things, but he did, he did them. He, we saw it earlier at, at the, on, the, on the journey. He humbled himself. He called a fast, and they would pray. And now he got there, and he faced these problems, and what does he do? He humbles himself, and then he begins to pray. Look at verse 5. It says, Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God, and I prayed. And this is his prayer. He said, Oh, my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our forefathers until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings, as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not deserted us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness 
In the sight of the kings of Persia, he has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. But now, O oh our God, what can we say after this? For we have disregarded the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, when you said, the land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices, they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. He says, what has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt. And yet, our God, you have punished us less than our sins have deserved and have given us a remnant like this. Shall we again break your commands and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving no remnant or survivor? O Lord, God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. We are here before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. That's heavy. Is that heavy? Man, Nehemiah, uh, Ezra, I keep saying Nehemiah, Ezra, his heart was broken. His heart was broken. He had conviction because of, of what had happened and what had happened with the people around him. But notice this. It, it, you know, many uh, commentators pointed out to this fact that Nehemiah, Ezra didn't just point at others, did he? You notice throughout the whole prayer, he said, we. He said, our. He, he identified himself with them. Uh, someone said, making the people sin his own. Because we're all in this together. Someone else said, we're to grieve over others' sins as well as over our own. It's not that we are just judging someone else and pointing the finger at them. We are all sinners. But to have this heart of brokenness before God is not a bad thing to be broken before God over our sin. If we're all sinners, isn't there a sense that we all should at times face this brokenness before God? Again, this is a part, as I, as I said earlier, of what true revival really is all about. David, in Psalm 51, he said this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. To be broken before God, to, to be contrite before Him, to have a broken and contrite heart, he says he will not despise. Chapter 10, it says... In this chapter, look at verse 1. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping, and throwing himself down before the house of God. I mean, look at this. Look at this example. He wasn't just doing it for a show either. I believe he was, he was serious. He was sincere. It says there a, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him, and they too wept bitterly. And then Shechaniah said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. In spite of this, there is still hope. You know, sin is bad and, and it is right for us to be broken. But in spite of that, there's still hope for us. 
The hope is found where? It's found right there at the cross, isn't it? It's found right there in Jesus. These that came to him, they, they realized it. But, but notice how the people around, Ezra, you know, he was praying, confessing, weeping, throwing himself down. The people around saw that too, and they were affected by it. Again, the example of this man of God, this man of the word, but a man who had a broken heart before God, affected the people around them. And they too were weeping, and they too were confessing. But Shek and I had a voice here as well that, that said there's still hope and the hope is found in Jesus Christ for you and for me. Verses 3 through verses 16 in this chapter, we find that they took action. Yes, they, they were weeping, they were confessing, but they also took action. And it says that the leaders and the uh, rulers, they acted first. <coughs> And then the others also as well. We also see in this chapter again that, that the spiritual leaders, the priests and the Levites, as we've already seen, they were guilty too. But the actions that they took were difficult. Of course, the obvious thing is if they had not done these things in the first place, they wouldn't have had to take any action. They wouldn't have to face the consequences. I, I always say this, and I believe it, and I know it from experience. It's so much better not to sin than it is to sin and be forgiven. There is always forgiveness. But, but the, the consequences and the, the things that we face when we go that route, yes, we can always be forgiven. You know, David sinned. His life was never the same again. Never the same again. He was completely and totally forgiven by God. But his life was changed. It was different. Much better to not sin than to sin and be forgiven and have to deal with it and all the consequences. But these people, they knew they had to take action. They had to do something. It could have been avoided, but it, it, you know, it was already done. It had already taken place. They had to do something. They needed to do something before God. The action they took... They went, and, and you have to read the whole rest of the chapter. We're not going to look at it now. But they went and they, they, they uh, you know, talked to all the different people that this sin had, been, had affected, figured out what they needed to do, and then they took serious steps to do what they needed to do. Serious steps. Some of them even separated from you know, husbands, separated from wives. Now, I want to say for the New Testament, I want to say this, make this clear, in the New Testament, we are called not to break up marriages, okay? Once, once you're married, we're called not to break up marriages, whether the husband is an unbeliever, the wife is an unbeliever, and this is the kind of thing being unequally yoked. And, and Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that, that you know, if one is willing to stay, the one who is not a believer is willing to stay, then, then he must not divorce her, and vice versa. There's no place for that. In the New Testament, if the unbeliever leaves of their own will and volition, that's another story. Okay, so I want to make that clear in the New Testament. But, but what, what the point is in this book of Ezra and what we see here in chapter 10 is that they took some serious, difficult steps to get right with God, to do what needed to be done. They didn't just, they didn't just you know, fall on their knees and weep and pray. That's part of it, a heart that is responsive to God. But there's also steps that you and I need to take at, at times to, to keep from going down the same road again. 
Maybe we have a, we have a problem with pornography. And, and, it, and it's through the internet or through the computer. Well, there are things that you can do and serious steps that you can take to protect yourself, whether it be filters or whether it be even going to the point where you say, you know what, I'm going to get rid of the computer completely and I don't need it. You'd be surprised to know that you can live without a computer. And it's better to live without a computer than it is to fall again and again and again if that's what you're sin is that's just one example if you have a if you have a you know problem with alcohol you shouldn't have alcohol in your house you shouldn't go to bars and hang out if you have you know other kinds of problems and and you need to take some serious steps and say you know what i i might need to change jobs so i can get away from the situation that that is bad for me these people, they took some serious steps, and, and you and I need to get serious about following after God. We're either going to follow Him or not. Let's not pretend and play. You know, we're either going to do what we need to do and follow Him or not. He doesn't need you know, us to, to play games with Him. These people, they got serious, and they did what they needed to do. You and I, when we sin, we all do. First John says that we do. What happens when we do? What happened to these people here? Their fellowship with God and their fellowship with one another, it was affected. It was kind of like messed up. It was like not the way that it used to be. It wasn't as good. It was Something was wrong. And so they needed, and, and we need to confess, and we need to repent. And if there's things that we excuse me, need to do, then we need to do those things. In Proverbs 28, it says this, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If we think we can just hide from God, you know, well, nobody knows that I'm doing this. God doesn't even know I'm doing this. I'm involved in this and that. He's familiar with all our ways. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. David found this out. It says in Psalm 32... He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And he said, then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And he says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. We tried to keep it inside, try to play a, uh, you know, the smooth outside and, and, and play the game in front of everybody else. But God knows what's inside of us. God knows what's going on. God knows what we're up to. And David said he tried to keep it all inside and it just kind of tore him up, tore him up inside. But he finally said, I'm gonna, I need to go. Of course, we know the story about David where he kind of had a little bit of help, didn't he? Someone came to him and said, you know what? You're the man. You're busted. Come clean now. He says, repent. Turn our hearts back to God. Continue our walk with God, this is what true revival is all about, that we would humble ourselves before God and, and Almighty, Holy God, that we confess our sins, that we would obey God's word, do what we need to do. I'm just going to finish with this thing about, uh, from a, a, a book about Christian history, the history uh, of spiritual awakenings in North America. And it says this, that in, in, whether in biblical times or church history, Certain patterns are, that are similar include these 
various aspects of God's working in awakenings, another word for revival, awakening. And number one is this, awakenings are usually preceded by a time of spiritual depression, apathy, and gross sin, in which a majority of nominal Christians are hardly different from the members of secular society, and the churches seem to be asleep. Number one. Number two, an individual or a small group of God's people becomes conscious of their sins and backslidden condition and vows to forsake all that is displeasing to God. Number three, as some Christians begin to yearn for a manifestation, a manifestation of God's power, a leader or leaders arise with insights into the causes and remedies of the problems and a new awareness of the holy and pure character of the Lord is present. Number four, the awakening of Christians occurs. Many understand and take part in a higher spiritual life. And number five, an awakening may be God's means of preparing and strengthening His people for future challenges or, or trials. Many, if not all, these things occur during times of revival where we humble ourselves. We see that we need more of God than we've ever had before. As we prepare our hearts even now to partake of communion, now is a good time. Now is a good time to come back to the Lord. He says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and He's just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The writer to the Hebrews says this, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We need to just turn to Him. Repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is turning back to God. That's what it is. You and I need it. Every one of us needs it at one time or another. This isn't for that bad guy that we're going to point our fingers at. This is us. Like Ezra said, you know, we have sinned. We, our actions, together, we all come together to the cross this morning. Shall we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we look at these words. They're difficult words. They're hard words, Lord, because... They affect us, and, and, and maybe they're not the most pleasant thing that we can think about, Lord. But as we come to the cross, we know that you answered the need that every human being has, the need for forgiveness, the need to be washed and cleansed by the blood of your son, Jesus. And so we come now, and, and, and perhaps some of us, perhaps every single one of us needs to come, and we need to humbly say, God, God, I come and I humble myself before you and, I, and I, I confess that I'm just a sinner. Like that man uh, who said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, while the other said and pointed the finger and said, I'm glad I'm not like that other guy. We come like the, the one who humbled himself and said, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we come also and we thank you, Father, for for the love that you have for us. You loved us so much. You gave your son that we might be forgiven, that we might be washed and cleansed, that we might serve the living God, our consciences cleansed, that we might serve the living God.
Father, we, we come before you this morning, this brand new year. May it be a year that we, that we do truly serve you, that we do truly live for you, that we do truly uh, make changes perhaps in our lives that, that make uh, serving you a, part, a true part of our, our lives, of who we are, what we're all about. I pray too for the leaders in our church that you would, that you would uh, keep each one of us pure, keep each one of us uh, uh, on that straight and narrow path, Lord, that we might be examples, Lord. We, we're, we're just as much sinners as the rest, Lord, but we, we, we know there's a responsibility. Help each one of us leader, leaders to, to be that good example, to follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, Lord. We cannot do it without you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.